Hello, I'm Will Yeoman, and welcome to another episode of the Pod Well Travelled. I'm joined today by travel editor Stephen Scarfield and a couple of guests too. Later on in the show, we're going to have Jeff Gillies from Coral Expeditions. We're also going to talk to Lachlan Woodland, who's one of the um, uh, lead uh, tour expedition leaders uh, for Inside Asia. He's going to be waxing lyrical about South Korea, which is not necessarily an Asian destination that's on everyone's radar. But first of all, Stephen, welcome back to the pod. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, what a great show. I'm looking forward to hearing Lockland talking about South Korea. Yeah, look, it's really good to have this mix, isn't it? And we do like to, you know, spread our wings a bit and try to have a bit of variety for listeners. And, I, and look, you, you've got some really interesting news about what's been happening in the travel industry more broadly because things have been moving at such a rapid pace, haven't they? Yes, things just continue. It's, it's, this sort of period is so interesting, isn't it, where um, you know, New Zealand's named its state for opening the borders, cruise ships coming back. Uh, Thailand is aiming for 15 million foreign tourist arrivals this year, which mm. is you know a huge number. And then you're looking at sort of places like uh, Portugal so saying that they're close to pre-COVID numbers. So everything's moving. And during this, you know, even during the what we might call the full pandemic lockdown period and certainly now there's been such a lot of growth and movement within the travel tourism hospitality industry mm. we've seen lots of new hotels opening which we've been covering and talking about um, lots of builds happening during the pandemic which is you know really extraordinary and and major hotels and um, you know venues changing hands yeah, look, you're right. And while you're on this subject, if you don't mind me asking, I, I just, I've been hearing little bits and pieces about the, the QE2, the, the floating hotel, and, and Accor recently, well, relatively recently, taking over this amazing... Yeah, the QE, the Queen Elizabeth too, is, is just such a fantastic. Well, it's a piece of, you know, travel history, isn't it? You know, built as an ocean liner, and of course, the, that era of ocean ships looks so different to the mm. cruise ships today. I mean, they were a different... They were a different concept. It was built as a, uh, it was operated by Cunard as a transatlantic liner, you know, between Europe, between the UK and America, obviously, from, you know, and it sailed from, it started in 1969, and it has that cruise liner look. You know, they were built as transit ships, really, rather than uh, sort of floating hotels, you know, they were built for big oceans and own quite speed and speed as well. So, QE2 sailed from 1969 to 2008 mm -hmm. and um, was then sort of parked up in Dubai and has been turned into a hotel, been functioning as a hotel, which is a pretty interesting idea. I mean, that's a, it's a kind of great retirement for a ship, I think. But the, the news, as you say, is that um, Accor has taken over the running of the hotel of the ship and it's going to upgrade and renovate the interior um, as part of its M Gallery hotel collection. Accor is very interesting, of course. It's, it is the biggest hospitality group in the world. It has 5,300 properties now mm. and 10,000 food and beverage venue, venues through 110 countries. Massive company. And a lot of the brands, I mean, although they sit under their core name like M Hotels, They've got lots of sub-brands now, uh, as I say, in 110 countries. Without doubt, Kiwi 2 will be one of their absolute showpieces. You know, I, I think that the renovation there will be 
so fascinating to see. Mm-hmm. So when, when's that likely to be completed? Well, they're, they're, you know, it's going to take... I mean, the, the changeover, is, is, uh, changeover of running is already sort of happening. Sure, yes. And, um, you know, Mark Willis, um, who's sort of in charge of that aspect, says that the the hotel renovation, they haven't really put a date on the completion, but it'll have 447 rooms, mm. nine food and beverage outlets, 10 meeting rooms, and, you know, in total would be 5,600 square metres of outdoors as well. So it's got a swimming pool, of course, and a gym. So it'll be a, yeah, one of the most unusual hotels in Dubai, which is famous for unusual hotels. <laughs> I was going to say, it already is. So that, that, that's <laughs> My goodness. Taking it to Some the next the level. Just stayed in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, but I just loved it. I mean, and just the, the shape of QE2 is, yes. is sort of, you know, classic sort of embedded uh, in it somewhere as travellers, mm. I think. Mm, no, no, absolutely. Well, okay, so let, let's go from the floating hotels to something completely different, which is Coral Expeditions. And Jeff Gillies, who's the commercial director for Coral Expeditions, and they know they specialise in uh, small group expedition tours. So it's very much focused on education, on adult experience. And Jeff's great because he just runs the whole gamut of, of what Coral Expeditions is about. Um, Stephen, you're obviously very familiar with this outfit from way back. Yes, of course. And I mean, just having spoken as we have about, you know, the Great Ocean Liners in that era, I mean, it's some measure of how this industry has matured that, you know, there's so many subsets. There's the huge floating hotels, mm. you know, which are really like um, mm. theme, theme parks, really. And then there's these small expedition ships, as you say, you know, about intimate experiences and education. Uh, and Coral's a very good example of that. Absolutely. Okay, so let's hear from Jeff. Okay, so as promised, it's my pleasure to welcome to the show Jeff Gillies from Coral Expeditions. Jeff, welcome to the pod Well Travelled. Thanks, Will. Lovely to chat to you. So perhaps you could give us a rough overview of what you guys actually do as an expedition company. And I guess the name does suggest what you do, Coral Expeditions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we had um, our, our sort of founding uh, partners and, and owners were um, based here in North Queensland, originally a, a fisherman and his uh, his wife, a retired travel agent from Townsville. So, um yeah, they travelled overseas and saw, you know, saw what expedition cruising was. I think they were up around the sort of northern passage, Alaska region, and, and thought Australia deserved such a thing. Mm. So um, came back and uh, got themselves a, a little vessel. And from humble beginnings, um, you know, we're now thirty-eight years on, um, still still based in Cairns, but certainly operating all the way around the uh, the country, and, and sort of more recently, up until the pandemic, around the. Um, you know, sort of the, the broader oceans um, to the north, sort of west and east of Australia. No, absolutely. Now, um, clearly it's it's in your best interest to look after the environment and, and really take a lot of care about how you conduct your business. And I, I'm just wondering how you've been going with the whole 
coverage about the state of our coral reefs, for example, particularly the Great Barrier Reef, where you guys first started off. And what are, what are some of the kinds of experiences you offer? Because I do, do know you have on board um, experts and so on on a lot of the trips. So how do you, how do you uh, draw in your, um, the people that are on the cruises so that they get this overall experience, which includes um, a lot about the environment they're enjoying? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I think um, a good starting point with with that is is really um, what is the essence of, of expedition cruising, and you know, at its at its heart, it's always been about education. Mm. So I think um, you know a lot of people travel the travel the world for the experience of travel. There's a certain kind of traveller who wants to get under the skin. They're a little bit more curious and and probably want to um, you know really immerse themselves. So um, expedition. You know, travel and expedition cruising has been all about that. Um, so, you know, we definitely have, um, you know, sort of a, a really strong basis in um, building connections with the people and the places and the environment. Um, so, on on our trips, the you know, the themes are, are really generally around the natural history. So, what's happening in the season? What's happening with the you know the, with the wildlife? Um, what's going on in that cycle? Mm-hmm. Um, what effects there are um, and what impacts are, are being experienced. We have, um, you know, normally an expedition team of between five and seven, but then we'll also carry on board um, some special guest lecturers who, you know, may um, hone in on a certain a certain aspect. Like in the Kimberley, um, the you know, kind of the rock formations and geology are very important. Um, mm. So you know, so you're, you're surrounded by um, people with deep knowledge and. You know, they do a little bit of onboard content um, by way of presentations, but they also travel sort of side by side, um, you know, on, on the, the day trips with all of the guests, also join them for dinner and for drinks and just basically conversationally share their knowledge. So, um, yeah, and look, at the, with, when it comes to, to kind of reef health, um, absolutely very topical. Um, you know, here in Australia, we do have, like all around the world, we've got you know, sort of globalization and and climate that does affect the the health of, of reefs, um, and it gets a lot of airplay. Um, without downplaying that, you know, Australia still has some of the healthiest and best managed reef systems in the world. Mm. Um, you know, they're they're under threat at times. Um, the, the Great Barrier Reef, uh, you know, certainly bleaching gets a lot of um, a lot of airtime, but you're still visiting and, and immersing yourself into it. What's, it's just a, a really complex and biodiverse environment that is abundant with marine life, um, has kind of real-life um, adaptation going on, um, you know, every year. So we, you know, we're perfectly poised through, I guess, the, the decades that we've operated to, you know, to help to share and interpret what is going on and how that's, you know how that's being dealt with by nature as well. Mm, absolutely. Look, I do, I do love that educative function because you really are giving back in a way, aren't you? You're helping to, to spread the word and to raise people's awareness. Um, it's not just an enjoyable trip. But look, I, I wanted to. You, you mentioned the, the onboard experience, and I wanted to go more into that because basically, relatively small ships, uh, relatively small groups. Um, sounds like a very much an authentic experience. You, um, I, n- I noticed you, you talk about on your website this idea about no, no organised entertainment, no glitzy restaurants. So people, you know, you don't have mini bars. People, you're up, you're up front. People know what they're getting when they sign up to one of these tours. Oh, people, people, um, 
they, they know what they're getting, and in fact, they come seeking. So, you know, I guess our, <laughs> our kind of guest is, is looking for exactly that. So, mm. you know, we're quite we're quite deliberate in making sure that we cut cut ourselves out from the rest of the pack. Um, you know, you've got all of the all of the modern amenities and and you know very high quality food and beverage that you would expect. Um, you know, to to enjoy during that. Um, but yes, we're unashamedly um, proud to talk about the. Know, kind of the, the some of those glitzier things that we that we don't offer. Um, you know, we've always had a fairly humble grassroots approach to mm. to what we deliver. You know, we stick to our knitting, and we you know we do we do this um, you know this this history interpretation education thing very well. Um, and as a result, word of mouth you know to this day um, continues to be the overwhelming source of, of um, business for us. So the um, yeah, for, for a long time, expedition cruising and what we did was was kind of a a, a really well guarded secret amongst um, travellers. Mm. I think um, you know now that you see that sector starting to grow, um, more and more people who met many of them who have been on a larger ship, but then kind of realised that they would like to spend a little bit more time in the place that they were at, like to get under the skin of it a little bit more. They they gravitate towards. Um, towards the type of trips that we offer. Mm, I think that makes sense. It, I, I guess it's all about finding your niche and just doing it better than anyone. And then, as you say, even through word of mouth, people will find out about you and you'll, you'll thrive. But, you know, but on the other side of the coin, I'm wondering how you, like so many other businesses, not just throughout Australia, but throughout the world, have weathered the whole pandemic storm. And I know you've had your share, fair share of challenges. Yeah, look, it's been, um, you know, it feels like we're, you know, we're kind of coming out into another another era now where everybody's getting back to, to travel. Um, you know, the challenge of today is is to, you know, to basically sort of work work out how we all live with, um, you know, COVID amongst the community mm-hmm. and whether that's, you know, sort of on a land-based tour or whether that, that is on a on a vessel. Um, it's, a, it's a thing. But look, the, yeah, the last two years has been a, a, a complete roller coaster for a small business like ours. I think we've, you know, given the fact that we're a small, independent, quite well-identified product, um, and we've always been pioneers, so we've always kind of been prepared, I guess, to, to move quickly and change quickly. Um, that's that stood us into in you know in in, in a good good place to to deal with it. Um, but yeah, like like most of the travel industry, to to kind of shut up shop and um, you know, really tie up and 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 just wait and, and see what was happening for four mm. or four months or so was mm. was really disconcerting. Um, but yeah, we we um you know we concentrated on trying to solve the things we could we could solve. So we were the first to develop a, a um you know a medical protocol that that we could present to governments and health authorities to get permission. And you know, in in late 2020, we got those permissions in place and. Um, we've operated, you know, obviously with some stops and starts due to border closures and a range of things across the across the time. But we've we've successfully operated, um, you know, right the way through that that period, you know, from from our restart. So it's um, and it's definitely definitely starting to to open up again more in the cruise sector that was particularly damaged by some of the mm. earlier the earlier media coverage and um, you know, I guess issues that were experienced. Um, so it's um, yeah, it's, it's 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 good to to be feeling as though there's there's some more confidence building out there now as well. It is interesting because in a way the the cruising industry has taken off more quickly and in a bigger way than people had perhaps anticipated. So are you finding that 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 bookings are really kind of surging for you guys? 
Yeah, there's always been a really strong demand for crews. Mm. Um, you know, we found that, um, you know, in some ways the the first response, um, you know, from from the market was to look for smaller cruising, mm. you know, mm. smaller numbers, which suited which suited us. Um, the crew, cruise industry can be much maligned oftentimes, um, but they've always, you know, throughout the entire history of cruise as a sector, um, that they've always had to deal with and have, have had very good medical protocols. So, mm. you know, you, you, you've got a community that are living on a, you know, on, I guess, the, the confinement of a vessel. So there's, al- there's always been best practice medical process in place for how to to mitigate or, or respond to, um, you know, to health, health issues that affect that community. Um, you know, right right now, the cruising's you know, cruising's back, and the the fact that you know that that there's I guess some some settings that are a bit more rigorous for crews, such as mandatory vaccinations and um, you know really tight onboard responses, even more so than there are on land, means that you know of course there's going to be some cases, but those cases are very well managed, and mm. um, you know it's actually a very very sort of um, comparatively, it's a it's a very safe environment. Um, you've got specialists all around you, and you know care all around you, and it's it's highly monitored. Yeah, look, that that really makes sense. Now, you you've canvassed some of these elements before, but I just wanted to get a sense of what what someone can expect on on a, on a typical expedition cruise. Yeah, so look, it's all about community. So they can expect to, I think, first and foremost, be amongst um, like-minded, you know, small, small group, smaller group of like-minded travellers who are there for a similar purpose um, to what they are. Um, you know, to see sort of really beautiful, out of the way places that are off the beaten track. Um, they, you know, they can expect um, with us probably a bit more of an Australianised um, service. So, mm. um, you know, we, we we basically kind of the crew um, have good access um, to the guests right the way through the through the trip. And I guess that interaction between crew and guests is is, is very much a part of our product. Um, yeah, you can expect daily excursions to, to go and, and see wonderful things, um, sitting side by side with, with knowledge, knowledgeable guides um, and, um, you know, beautiful hotel lodgings that, you know, just so happen to travel with you. And, um, you know, each, each different day you wake up in a, in a different place ready for a new adventure. Oh, that's gorgeous. Now, um, I guess uh, perhaps a lot of listeners don't realise that you don't just operate within Australia. What, what are some of the other destinations that are that are currently open to you at this point in time? Yeah, so, so during the history of um, of the company, um, you know, we, we sort of started in, in um, the Great Barrier Reef and then we founded the Kimberley, you know, what, 27 years ago. Mm. Um, we've kind of moved around Australian shores, but we also started to go up to Papua New Guinea, um, and the Spice Islands, um, and across to New Zealand. Um, in the past couple of years, we've actually um, commissioned and, and built two new vessels, um, so the Coral Adventurer and the Coral Geographer, mm. both slightly larger. And because of that, I guess that increase in size um, up to you know a maximum of 120, which I guess is still pretty small, um, they they can go a bit further afield. So um, we'll be going sort of further up through the Indonesia area, um, Sulawesi and Borneo. Um, next year we're going out to through the Indian Ocean to um, Sri Lanka, the Seychelles, Madagascar, um, and Mauritius, um, and ultimately then sort of far out into the Pacific. So mm. our vessels are tropical um, sort of inspired ships, so they're not. They're not polar class ships that 
that kind of swing past the season. So sure. you, you know, you've got really nice sort of glass and open deck plans. They, they suit those tropical regions around Australia, and um, that's that's kind of, I guess, the you know the, where we'll look to develop future um, international itineraries. But the international will start to return uh, from from December this year as our the first of our trips with. Um, the South Pacific and New Zealand coming back online. Oh well, that's fantastic. And I meant to ask you too, in terms of your itineraries, what what is the what's what's the shortest voyage someone can take? Take and what's one of the longest? Yeah, so the shortest voyages are um, seven night trips that we have on the on the Great Barrier Reef. Um, you know, if you go all the way through to the to the longest, we've got a, a sixty night circumnavigation of Australia right. happening at the back end of this year. So um, you know, lots of slow crawl right the way around the country. <laughs> um, you know, look, we've got um, probably an average of average duration of between ten and fourteen days, um, but some of our international trips, you know, do do sort of sit between the sixteen and twenty days. So enough time to to really, you know, whilst you're out there to to see, um, you know, see and, and um, get a get a connection with a good span of the of the region that we're travelling. Oh, that's fantastic, Jeff. Now, look, if people want to find out more, if they want to book a trip or just find out more about Coral Expeditions and what they do, the website is just Coral Expeditions, that's all one word, dot com. It's too easy. Or you can call 1-800-079-545. Jeff, it's been amazing having you on the pod Well Travelled. Um, it sounds like uh, things are really moving ahead for you guys. I'm really, really happy for you. And indeed, for the whole travel um industry to be honest um you know i talked about cruising taking on more quickly than people anticipated but if you look at the way things are moving across the board whether it's flying or whether it's you know land travel it's it's pretty amazing so you must be feeling pretty confident at this point in time yeah yeah look we've always always tried to adopt the uh the confident outlook on the future and and mm. you know it's hard for us to uh not find inspiration when we're sitting down mapping out uh, you know the places <laughs> that we can we 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 can go and see in the future um so look i, I uh Thank you very much for the, for the chance to, to have a chat and uh, certainly look forward to welcoming uh, as many listeners on board as we can in the future. Absolutely. Well, you take care, Jeff. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for you too. Yeah, he's a pretty amazing guy, isn't he? And you know what, Stephen, before I spoke to Jeff, I actually didn't realise the extent to which Coral Expeditions actually went beyond Australia. They're talking about Papua New Guinea and all these kinds of places, which are fairly close by, um, but they do require a different, a different kind of boat, don't they? They do, and, and I'll have to say that for anyone into that type of travel, at some point in, your, in the future... Uh, Papua New Guinea cruising expedition cruising Papua New Guinea is just like the most amazing experience. Mm. I have to, have to add that mm. these guys do it, you know. So um, keep that on your radar for the future. Yeah, no, it's absolutely amazing. Now, um, I did speak to Lachlan Woodland um, a little while ago, so we're going to have him on next. But Stephen, I want to ask you more about this other. Actually, it is related because Inside Asia and their sister company Inside Japan, which I think a lot of us um, who are in Australia might be more familiar with, um, they do specialise in these kinds of bespoke small group and in, in some cases self-guided tours. 
in in and around Asia, and it's quite extraordinary the way they do it. I've been on a couple myself, um, but I'm wondering whether as Asia is opening up, and you can see Japan's reading itself, so so South Korea is with some restrictions, that um, people will embrace this kind of authentic, uh, sustainable type of travel. Yeah, I think it's very much at the moment, and um, mm. this is everything that we're seeing in um, surveys and interviews with. You know, travels and travellers and prospective travellers. Um, all the themes coming through and the themes certainly that I see on a daily, hourly basis, I see the travel industry responding to are what you might think of as high value travel. Mm. You know, um, I, I, I'm cautious with the phrase authentic experiences because uh, I, I did have a moment where someone in travel was explaining to me they were manufacturing authentic experiences. <laughs> but um, certainly, you know, these um, small groups, well-managed, um, so you're in safe hands, which is a phrase that we, you know, we as a team, you and I discuss, you know, use a lot, that yes. we want everyone in safe hands. And it certainly is the moment for that. And inside's a very good example. You know, you have very strong personal experience with them, having travelled with them. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, you're with people who know the local lie of the land. They're kind of, you know, they've got their network there. They're in tune with the place. And I think that's very important. You know, just at the moment when things are still, even over the next 12 months, when things are still sort of sensitive, is that we have, you know, we have people with the network that works. I know that when we take, you know, I take groups to places I know very well because I have a good network there. So if anything's going on or there's any, you know, anything has to be reorganized, it's easy to do that because you know people there, you know how, exactly. to, how it works. And I think that's the value of this. And as you say, we want more from our travel, you know, um, not in a selfish way. I, I did mention this in a story recently, sort of revenge buying, um, which, which was a phrase, but, you know, we have, you know, lots of people feel they've missed two years. Certainly when you get into the the sort of early retiree bracket, people have been waiting and waiting to go traveling when they retire and they feel they've lost two years. Um, certainly, you know, being in a, in a small group, learning a lot, feeling you're very close to local culture. Um, and as I say, being in safe hands is very important. Mm, no, I couldn't agree more. Okay, look, we're going to hear from Lachlan now. And I, I did provide a bit of an intro to this piece where I talked about the ubiquitousness of South Korean culture in Western society. And yet, a lot of people either haven't been to South Korea, like myself, for example, and, and don't really understand the actual traditional culture of, of South Korea. So Lachlan is very, very good on that. So let's hear from Lachlan right now. So many of us use Korean phones, drive Korean cars, listen to Korean music and watch Korean films and TV shows. But how many of us really know that much about South Korea and its traditional culture? And now that Inside Asia Tours is offering Australians the opportunity to experience the authentic South Korea, we finally have a better chance than ever to fill in some of the gaps in our knowledge. And who better to help fill some of those gaps than Australian-based expert travel consultant with Inside Asia, Lachlan Woodland, who has travelled extensively in South Korea and I'm, I'm sure a lot of other places too. But anyway, Lachlan, look, welcome to the pod Well Travelled and thanks for taking the time to talk to us. No worries. Thanks for having me, Well, 
So um, I'd like to start with you personally. I mean, what's special about uh, South Korea for you as opposed to other parts of Asia, indeed other parts of the world? What, what sort of piqued your interest in the first place? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I first visited South Korea about 10 years ago when I was a uni student. Mm. Um, I was actually living in Japan at the time. Um, and my friends and I decided to go over just for a weekend. Didn't really have many expectations about it. Um, but we were really, really blown away by just how diverse the culture is, how much of a contrast there is within the country. I mean, mm. you've got bustling metropolises in Seoul and Busan with neon lights and all of that. But it's also home to some really gorgeous countryside. You know, you've got dramatic mountain ranges that go across the country and you've got rugged coastlines. So I think that that variation um, was something that really, really appealed to me. No, absolutely. Now, I noticed that Inside Asia does offer um, packages that include both Japan and South Korea. And I'm really interested to know those points of differences, because I think it's fair to say most of our listeners will probably be more familiar with Japan. Yeah, no, that's right. Definitely. I think the Australian market um, is probably pretty well versed with Japan as a destination. Um, it's been top of many travel lists for a few years now. Um, but it's true that South Korea probably hasn't um, piqued that much interest in Australian travellers until now. But I think that's um, a, a shame. There really is so much that the country can offer. Um, it's a really, really vibrant country. Um, I'm sure, as you mentioned in the introduction, that people will know it because of pop culture, you know, techno technological mm. um, side of Korea as well. But there's um, a, an amazing culture as well that I think that um, if Australians were introduced to it, they'd be really, really interested in. Like, it's got a really um, diverse culinary scene as well that um, I think is gradually making its way into Australia. Um, you know, you've got Korean barbecue that are popping up in high streets around the country. Um, you've got Korean fried chicken and things like that. But there's mm. um, really a whole um, side of Korean food that I think Australians would be really, really interested in. Actually, I think you're right. I, and I should have mentioned uh, Korean cuisine in my intro too because yeah. um, I think those of us living um, in Australia, Korean restaurants have probably been a feature of our culinary offerings for quite some time. But as yeah. as with uh, other Asian restaurants that are in Western countries, you, you're always not too sure whether you're getting something that's a little bit sort of watered down. I mean, do you think there's much of a difference between the kind of Korean cuisine we get here in Australia and the actual cuisine you experience in South Korea? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think it depends on where you're going. There's some mm. places that are pretty um, pretty on the mark for Korean cuisine. Yes. I mean, we do have a lot of Korean immigrants and Korean students here in Australia, of course, that are bringing the more authentic side of Korean food as well. But I have to say, when I was in Korea itself, um, I was a little bit surprised by just how spicy some of the food can be. <laughs> so they might be watering it down a little bit for the Western palate. Sure. Uh, but for the most part, I think it's, it's pretty close to what, what you're getting in Australia, yeah. Okay, so I mean, what, what really is is there is there a sort of a quality of qualities that for you define South Korean traditional culture? We've talked a little bit about modern and contemporary culture, which I think mm. more people are familiar with. But for, as far as traditional culture goes, what, what are some of the defining points there? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things that stand out that are particularly uh, South Korean. Mm. Um, I, I think one of the, the big examples is some of the unique festivals that they have there that really exemplify Korean culture. Like you have the, the Bonfire Festival in the south of Korea, um, which it, it pays homage to the, the agricultural history of Korea. It's usually done around the start of the harvest season. Um, they do big bonfires that light up the mountains. Um, it's 
to get rid of the, the old grass, but it's turned to, to a big cultural festival where people celebrate with food, dance. Um, and there's a lot of that around Korea. It's not just a bonfire festival. Like you have Chuseok, which is Korean Thanksgiving. Mm. Um, and um, the Lunar New Year, of course. Of course, being uh, an East Asian country, they do adhere to the, the lunar calendar. And there's a lot of um, cultural traditions that are associated with that, um, particular dances, um, visiting temples, um, honoring your your past relatives mm. as well, as well as um, Korean dances. Um, Gangang Sule is um, one particular dance that is quite popular in Korea where women will dance around in a circle um, doing folk songs, eating traditional food as well. Um, they happen throughout the year in Korea. And I mean, it, it's really good if tourists can get involved in them because I think the Korean people are just very warm and welcoming and would really love to see Western tourists get involved in that side of things because I think Koreans are quite aware that um, the West knows about um, Korean pop culture but probably don't know so much about the traditional culture as mm, well. Mm. Yeah, look, I think it's fair to say, as, as, I've, as I've mentioned too, where we're, we're, a lot of us are using Samsung phones and driving Hyundai's mm. and, <laughs> and that's probably as far as our knowledge goes. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but for you, I mean, are, are there any places um, – that are your favourites? I know it's often a hard question because there's probably so many, but what, what really, what, what's what's a place that you're just dying to get back to in South Korea? Um, I mean, I think the boring answer would be Seoul, but it really is an amazing city to go to. Mm, mm, um, sure. Definitely in one of my, yeah, it, it's definitely one of my top 10 destinations I've visited around the world. It, it just has this really incredible energy about it. Um, I mean, as you said, it's owned some of the biggest brands in the world, cutting edge of fashion, beauty, pop culture. Um, but at the same time, it can feel very serene, which I think mm. surprises some people. Um, it's got heaps of quiet temples around the place, beautiful gardens, you know, national parks within a stone's throw from a stone's throw from the city. So you can pretty easily escape the hustle and bustle and get out of get out of Seoul if you if you wanted to. Yeah, that's interesting because in that way, I guess it's a little bit like Tokyo. You know, it's this, this vast metropolis, yeah. but you can find those beautiful pockets of serenity, can't you? Oh, absolutely. And I think Australian tourists probably have a bit of an image of South Korea being a very modern, urbanized country, but there really is a beautiful countryside that um, is very easily accessible um, for most places in Korea. Like, as I said, there's beautiful mountain ranges that go across the country and they're amazing for hiking. It's one of Korea's favorite pastimes to do hiking um, in the summer, the summer and autumn season. Um, and I think that Australians who are generally pretty active when they travel would be really interested in that as well mm, no absolutely so look maybe to finish with let's talk a little bit more about inside asia's offerings uh when it as it relates yeah. to south korea maybe even japan as well um what 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 would be in store for the first time visitor what could they expect yeah, so, so do you mean in terms of um, restrictions? No, 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 sorry. I mean, in terms of what you guys offer in a typical Inside Asia tour, I mean, how, how do you kind of frame it for people who may have never been there before? Do you offer like a smorgasbord? Do you offer like best, you know, top hits or do you try and vary it? I know Inside Japan and Inside Asia are known for their sort of bespoke, sort of more intimate, small group, uh, authentic sort of style tours. Yeah, so um, for South Korea... We are offering, much like Japan, um, tailor-made packages. So um, people can pretty much do what they want. We're very happy to use our expertise to guide people, um, you know, give them recommendations of what they'd like to do based on their interests mm. and, um, you know, particular time of year that they want to go do. But we do have a lot of um, great example itineraries on our website that you can have a look at. 
I mean, just to give you an example of a, a really good all-rounder itinerary, it's called our Best of South Korea itinerary. Yeah, yeah so it, it takes in a few days in Seoul, you know, get to, to know the metropolis a little bit. Then to mix things up a bit, you go into the countryside to Sorak-san National Park, which is this beautiful national park about two hours east of Seoul, I'd say. Um, it's it's this massive mountain range that's overlooking the ocean. So you get these really dramatic views. Um, and it's a, it's a nice change from Seoul, I think. Um, then from there, you can go on to Gyeongju for two days, which it's considered the old capital of Korea. Mm. Um, sort of like a, a living museum. Um, some would describe it as it's got lots of temples, um, Buddhist monasteries. Um, it's quite rural as well. It's a, it's a great place to actually cycle around if you want to hire oh, a bike, wow. very flat. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting for that. Um, it's got beautiful local cuisine as well. You can even stay at a Buddhist monastery if you wanted to. You know, try out some of the sutras and um, some of the the Buddhist cuisine as well. Um, that's always an interesting thing to do in Gyeongju. Mm. Um, yeah, from there, you maybe spend two or three days in Busan, um, coastal city down in the South Korea. Um, it's a really, really vibrant city. Um, because it's coastal, there's a big focus on on the ocean, so you've got some of the best seafood in the world at Dalgauchi Market. Um, you can sit, sit down with the locals, enjoy some seafood, some street food, some soju, um, you know, sit on the beach, have a drink. Um, I think Busan is a really, really fun destination. Um, it's a bit surprising, I think, compared to Seoul, you know, both are big cities, mm. but uh, Busan can feel quite warm and welcoming compared to Seoul, which is a bit more, you know, a bit more of a hustle and bustle going on there. Mm-hmm. No, look, that, that sounds amazing. Now, now you mentioned before uh, restrictions and so forth. What, what's the situation at the moment for international travellers going into South Korea? Yeah, so thankfully Korea did reopen its borders um, a few weeks ago. Mm. So there are still a few restrictions when it comes to travelling to South Korea, but it has eased off significantly since before they closed the, the borders. Um, so all you need to do is have three vaccinations. Or if you have two vaccinations, you have to have proof that you received the last dose within the last six months. Okay. Um, from that, you just sign up for an e-visa online. It's a very easy process. You submit your um, proof of vaccinations. It gets approved automatically. You turn up in Korea. Oh, sorry, I should say you need to have a PCR test um, before getting on the plane to Korea. Sure. And then when you arrive, you can have a rapid antigen test, but you're free to travel off and do your thing in Korea. Oh, fantastic. There's nothing too onerous then. No, nothing no, too well, under. Not at all. No, okay. Now, you mentioned the website too. So that's um, Inside Asia Tours, all one word, dot com yeah, dot, right. uh, forward slash AU, I think. Yeah, um, forward slash AU. Yes, indeed. Okay. Well, look, uh, Lachlan, it's been fantastic talking to you. And I, I can't wait myself to get over there someday because I've never been to South Korea, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners haven't either. And this is hence the point of this podcast and talking to you, <laughs> wanting to find out more. Um, so, again, yeah. thank you. And I, I guess you'll be heading over there yourself at some time soon, being one of the, uh, the, the tour leaders. Yeah, I'm hoping to go over in a few weeks, actually, oh, wow. things work out. Mm. Amazing. Okay, well, thanks again, Lachlan. You have a great day. No worries, though. Thanks for that, Will. Stephen, it sounds like an amazing place. As I said before we spoke to Lachlan, I, had, I haven't been there yet. You seem to have been everywhere. Surely you've been to South Korea. Yes, I have been. Uh, main main the cities, I must say. Yes. So, um, well, he, he did talk been. about um, Seoul and Busan, didn't he? Which are two of the, the main. Yeah, mm. and Seoul is kind of. I don't know why it just sprang to mind, but it's kind of like a 
a southern Helsinki. I don't know why that's so terrible. <laughs> there. Well, in that it, you know, it, it, the design is very contem- contemporary. Right. Okay. Cult, you know, the culture is very contemporary. It's mm. a lot to do with design, architecture. Mm. It has that feel to the city. There's a real kind of sensitivity, but a very clean, fresh, modern sensitivity as well to it. So, yes, it's, it's a very interesting place. And, of course, you know, we we are part of the world. We, we these, they're destinations, but they're also countries. And, of course, that area is of, enormous interest and sensitivity particularly you know for australia mm. um that whole sub you know, whole region um south of china is very very important to us and, and understanding and visiting these places is a very good part of our world education not just as a holiday but for us as people learning about the the region we live in. I agree with you, and it's particularly pertinent then that Lachlan mentions that um, uh, Japan-South Korea package because, of course, those two countries have had quite a fraught relationship, it could be said, over the years and centuries, and I think it's really important that people uh, do delve into that as well and and get that, as you say, that broader understanding of the world that we are exploring. That's exactly right. Mm. Well, Stephen, I reckon that's a wrap. Well, you have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week on the pod. Well, Thanks, Will.